0: Jesus, we just want to ask you to speak to us right now. Will you just anoint us to receive the message that you want to give us? You've already given us a feast today as we've worshipped. But we want to eat more of you. We want to go deeper with you right now. So, Father, will you get hold of us again? Will you just anoint us to hear your word? In Jesus' name. And help me to bring it too. Amen. Well, I wasn't expecting to speak today. Uh, Simon was going to be speaking and he almost thought that he would have a go. But we kind of spoke to him and said, that's not a good idea. There's other stuff going on that's more important. Uh, But it's interesting when the program changes because you have the opportunity to step outside the plan and just say, okay, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? So that's what I've been doing a bit this week. And and I just feel to talk about... We'll come back to Devoted next week. But I just feel to talk about the power of the tongue. That's what I feel like God's been talking to me about. The power of the tongue and the words that we use. Because you know our words have incredible power to set the course of our lives. Did you know that? So we have to be careful... We have to be careful with what we say because of the power that our words have. I like a metaphor that Gary Chapman uses in his book, Love as a Way of Life. He says that our words can either be bullets or seeds. You know, if we use our words as bullets, we can bring harm. If we use our words as seeds, they bring life. So how do you use your words? Do you know The power that they have. I mean, perhaps it's not even the words that you speak, but the labels that you give yourself or others. And the question I want to ask you is can your words even cause those around us to prosper? Can your words cause others to prosper? I'm going to take you to James chapter three. You probably guessed that already. That's the obvious passage to go to. I'm going to take you there in a minute. But before this, I want to just share with you a video uh, that was done by an advertising agency last year, and it was very. I, I found it very impactful. So I want to share this video with you, and it's called "The Power of Words." <laughs> same I wrote the same but in different words thanks love Change your words, change your world. Uh, I wonder what the words are on your card today. The words that we think, the words that we speak, the labels that we know ourselves by. Change your words, change your world. Can you just turn to James chapter 3? I'm just going to read to you uh, verses 1 to 12. James chapter 3, 1 to 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise the tongue, it's a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of his life. Corrupts the whole body, it corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. And is is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless, evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James tells us in this passage about how powerful words are. Our our words have the power to set the tone and direction of our lives. And by them, we pull up, we build up, or we pull down. And we set free, or we bind up. And as James points out, those who talk the most, and he uses teachers as an example, are at the greatest risk of really messing things up and creating problems for themselves and for others. And so quite rightly, this passage is often used to warn against the careless use of words and its consequences, but this isn't James' only message for us today. Because you see, if we learn how to use our words well, there are some significant benefits for those who are careful about what they say. And so there are three things I want to draw out for you, and it starts with taking a look at yourself. It starts with looking at your self-talk and the words that you allow to come onto your tongue. So firstly, the power of the tongue. James says that we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is a perfect man, able to keep their whole body in check. Look at that. If we were able... If we were able to speak perfect words, if we were able to so govern what we say, that the words that come out are true, it would, be, it would potentially enable our whole bodies to be directed into good. Suppose that was possible. And so in here, rather than just a warning, James is giving us a key to keeping our lives on track, to speak Perfectly. If we speak perfectly, our whole bodies will go in the right direction. He says, think about the horse. You know, it's such a large animal. It's the, it was the biggest and the most powerful machine that he could think of of his day. We might say, think about a caterpillar truck or a tank. Think about that. But although it is so strong, it's far stronger than you and I, it could be controlled by a small piece of metal in the mouth. The size is proportionate. Or he goes on, take the sailing ship. It's driven by powerful forces. The wind blows it through stormy seas. It's able to travel at great distances and carry huge cargoes. Crumbs, that ship must be so powerful. But look, it can be driven by such a small piece of wood, such a a small piece of wood that happens to be shaped a bit like the tongue, the rudder. The tongue, he says, that small piece of muscle and flesh that sits in your mouth is capable of great boasts. We can make great claims. We can speak some powerful big words. But are you the master of it or is it the master of you? You see, what we say with our mouths can set the direction of the whole body, which means our lives. Where we get to in life is directly connected to how you think or speak about yourself. Just think about it for a moment. Is your tongue a force for good or for evil? Is it bullets or seeds? I mean, which words that you speak even now are setting the tone and direction of your life? How are you speaking? What do you say to yourself? What do you say to yourself about yourself? Could you say those words in public? Some of the self-talk that goes on. Could you stand up the front here and say, this is what I've been saying about myself recently? And you'd be okay with that. How do you talk to yourself when you talk about yourself to other people? How do you introduce yourself to people? What is your self-talk like? Do you just put yourself down all the time? Or do you puff yourself up? Neither is great. But how do you speak about yourself comes from how you think about yourself. How is your self-talk? See, James says the tongue can be like the smallest spark that sets a forest on fire. It's got the power, actually, to corrupt the whole person even to set the whole course of our lives into a destructive firestorm that even leads us into hell itself that's what it says in verse 6 i mean that just sounds a bit extreme you just sort of, just think about your tongue that tiny small thing that muscle in your mouth it's got that kind of power but if you think about what we say with our tongues we're able not just to affect our lives here and now, but even our eternal salvation. That's what Paul says when he writes in Romans 10, 9. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what you say with your mouth is even affecting your eternal, eternal destiny. It's got that kind of capability when the heart and the mouth especially combine in agreement. And there's incredible power unlocked, even leading to the salvation of our souls. So are you careful about what you say? Does what you say reflect what you believe about yourself in your heart? And is what you say true? Because you see, not every thought that goes through your mind is of God or even of you. How many people know that sometimes the enemy will come and speak lies over us and then we start to believe and, re- and repeat those things as if they were true? There used to be a motto used during the war. It says, careless talk costs lives. And it's just, that's true spiritually as well. And in this section, James is talking about the extremes of poor self-talk. And if you notice, he takes us up three levels. He talks about a spark which ignites a forest, which if it's left unchecked, corrupts the person, which if it's not dealt with, can even lead to the shipwrecking of our faith. Three levels. I mean, most of us don't get that far. We don't get to the shipwreck bit, but we can easily get to stage two when a few things start to go wrong, the corruption of the person. Quite easily we get into a bitterness. We get into a negative mindset so easily. We can get corrupted by the experiences of life. You know, as we were seeing last week, disappointment creeps in. Bitterness sets in and life is strangled out of us. Anybody experienced any of that? You start to just get a negative mindset and everything then looks like that. Have you noticed that? It can be the culture of the place you've been in. You start to pick up the atmosphere. It's all negative. Everybody's complaining and moaning. It becomes part of the culture. and Before you know it, you're thinking and feeling and saying the same things, even if you don't believe in them. I mean, how many of us know that the tape that plays in our heads needs re-recording when we think about ourselves in particular? It needs re-recording. Our minds need to be renewed with truth. Our our words need to line up with the new identity that we have in Christ and also what the Father thinks of us. I I just love this. There's There's an exercise you can do. I think I did it here a little while ago. Just ask the Holy Spirit... What does the Father think of me? What is Jesus saying about me? You know, we have Jesus. He's the mediator between God and man who continually intercedes on our behalf. Holy Spirit, will you let me hear what he's praying for me right now? Do you know, if you could listen in on some of those prayers, if you could listen in on the heart of the Father as we were hearing this morning, you would be amazed at the things he's saying about you, how much he loves you, how much he thinks of you, how great he thinks you are, that you're the apple of his eye, that he loves you, that he accepts you. It's unconditional love. You don't have to do anything for it. He's just pouring it out over and over. Why don't they know how much I love you? Why don't they know how much I love them? Why don't they know they don't have to do that? They don't have to work for it. I just love them. Why won't they spend more time with me? That's the kind of stuff that's going on. And when you start to hear the truth, it affects who we are and what we feel about ourselves. And then we, the heart changes and we begin to think differently and we begin to speak differently. Our words need to line up with the truth of our new identity in Christ and what the Father thinks and says about us. You know, I went through a time in my mid-twenties that when I was struggling hugely with failure despite the huge excess, success I had experience in finding the most beautiful woman in the world who agreed to marry me over there. (laughs) But I started to develop what I would even call a failure complex. You know, it just seemed that everything I did in my workplace went wrong. Nothing worked out the way that it should. And at my lowest point, I, I was about to lose my job because I'd failed. Yet another exam that I had to take as a condition of my employment. And I remember the day so clearly. I was walking down Ludgate's Hill in Birmingham, which is also known as Hangman's Hill. And I was walking towards my office and I was on the way to work. The bearer of bad news, I was dreading it. I'd been sleepless the night before because I was going to have to tell my boss. Yet again, I failed that exam the third time. I felt awful, and I was completely in despair. My mindset, the words that I spoke, the atmosphere of who I was at that time was just dismal negativity. And then at the bottom of the hill, you come to a literal crossroads. And I was about to cross over when I felt God speak to me, and I stopped, and he says, you've got a choice. You've got a choice. You can go this way, or you can go that way. He says, you can either believe that you are a failure and everything will go wrong for you for the rest of your life. You can believe that and you can go down that road if you want to. Or you can choose to believe what the Bible says. And I thought, "What? what? What does it say? And then two verses immediately came to my mind. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's the choice. A life of dismal failure, an abject despair, or belief that God can work all things together for my good, and that I can do all things. Can you feel the power of it? Just as, just as I thought those words, and I, and I chose to speak them out, the power of them, the power of those words, as I made that choice, came into my heart, and I believe changed the direction of the rest of my life. And some of you have got that choice today. And Maybe it's not about failure, it could be about something else. But you've had this negative experience or this negative mindset and you, and you start to believe the worst and the darkest and you gravitate. Why is it that we do that? We gravitate towards despair and disillusionment. Why is it the negative seems to have more of a pull? Or is that just me? Why is it? Why is it the sin seems more attractive than holiness sometimes? But we get dragged in that direction. Guys, I just want to say this to you. God is never negative. And so if you're feeling dragged in that direction, it's never God. (laughs) He never says bad stuff about you. He never speaks about you behind your back. In a negative way. He never puts you down. Because you know when God looks at you, when God the Father looks at you, do you know what he sees? All he sees is Jesus. Because we are hidden in Christ, in God. He is never negative. So if you're hearing that, if you're feeling that pull, that's not God. You don't have to go there. You've got that choice. You've got the power to make that decision today. God is never negative. You know, at that moment, in that moment of decision, I knew what I deserved. I mean, the evidence of my life up until that point showed that actually failure and disillusionment was probably, you know, I should have worked harder or whatever. But faith rose in my heart because I chose to believe what the Bible said and what God said about me was true. And so with every remaining step that led to my office, I literally spoke these words over myself and over my life. And the great news is I didn't lose my job. But even better news is that this decision and the words I spoke at that time, I am convinced changed the course of my life and became a foundation that I was able to stand on and return to time and time again. How about you? You're standing at that crossroads today. Which direction are you going to go in? Which one are you going to believe? Which one are you going to choose? Choose you this day, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. Are you going to choose the living God, or are you going to choose dismal failure and death? I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. I want you to just, just close your eyes. I'm going to go this way. Just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to imagine that you're looking at yourself in the mirror. I know it's not as good as looking at me, but just imagine for a moment that you're looking at yourself in the mirror. I want you to look full in your eyes, see the expression on your face. You're looking in the mirror. And I want you to say to yourself, I love you, I accept you, I forgive you, and I choose to believe the best about you, because the Father says so, and I choose to believe what he says. I want this to be a crossroads experience for many of us today, a crossroads experience. I choose to believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That person that I look at in the mirror, that person, often when I look in the mirror, I say, oh, I don't like this, don't like that, don't like the other about myself. No, today it changes. <laughs> Today there's a decision being made and I'm going to stand on a different ground. I'm going to choose to believe what the Father says about me and I'm going to choose to speak out of that place, not out of the other. Amen? Amen. Jesus, I pray just come and bring freedom right now. I break strongholds of disappointment and disillusionment and despair right now in Jesus' name and I set you free. Amen. You know, our words are very powerful. And if we're going to make the most of the power of the tongue, then it's going to need to be tamed. So I want to talk about taming the tongue because that's where James takes us next. He points it out in verses 7 to 8. He says, you know, man has tamed all kinds of wild animals with a great deal more success than the wild animal that lives within our very mouths, the tongue. He says, the tongue is like an angry and poisonous snake and it needs to be tamed if it's not going to harm you or those around you, verse 8. And so at this point, James is asking us to consider the effect of the words, uh, the effect of our words, not just on ourselves now, but on those around us. You know, those who are affected by the way that you speak. The atmosphere that you create around you with your words. And I'm not just talking about when people that you're talking about are in earshot. You know, what you say about people affects them whether they hear you or not, even if it's in the minds of those that you speak to. It affects them. If I talk negatively to Steve about Paul, I will affect Steve's understanding and, uh, of Paul and his view of Paul. Actually, I usually boast about Paul to Steve. I usually praise about people. I want you to know that there isn't a culture in the church where I speak negatively about you to anybody. It doesn't happen in our house, in our elders' meetings or anything like that. We don't do that. Sometimes we catch ourselves in it and we stop and we say, look, sorry, I shouldn't be saying that. That's not to say that we don't talk about things that that we need to talk through, situations that need resolving. But it's not part of the culture of how we do things. We want to talk and think of one another well. It's a wild animal, a poisonous snake. As we saw earlier, James particularly warns teachers about how they use their words, because this is a position of authority in the church. And those in authority over others have a special responsibility to guard what they say and how they say it. So, for example, you just think about if you've got children, if you're parents, the words that you speak of your children are incredibly powerful. You have the power to speak life and destiny or cripple your children with the words that you say. I remember spending some time with a a lady who had an eating disorder and a self-image problem, and as we started to talk about it, what came out was, because honestly, I said, I can't understand why you say these things about yourself. You're beautiful. Seriously, you're absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. My wife's here as well. It's okay, I can say that. And she cried and she said, my dad has never told me that. My dad has never told me that. You have incredible power to speak words of affirmation and encouragement and destiny as parents over your children. Secondly, church members whose leaders have criticized them or condemned them. I've even had to pray for people because church leaders have even cursed people. They've cursed them with the words. That's been the effect of the bondage that they've brought. Well, they've said, you're not gifted. You haven't got anything worth offering. You can't sing. You name it. And I prayed with people to set them free from the lies that have bound them because of words that have been spoken over them historically by those that are in authority, those that should know better. Now, sometimes you do need to give feedback, and it's difficult, but you have to do it in a way that builds people up. And sometimes you just, you know, when you're training people how to preach, for example, sometimes the only thing you can say is, well done for doing it. (laughs) And I've had a couple of those in the past. You know, well done for doing it. Um, I think we probably need to give you a bit more help next time. Well done for doing it. Praise and courage. (laughs) <laughs> Rather than accuracy or whatever. <laughs> I remember speaking to a leader that I worked with. He's a very quiet, gentle man, but he held authority so powerfully. He was an authoritative man, and because he was so gentle, I don't think he had any consciousness of the power that he held when he spoke over people. <laughs> and I had to go and say him. I said, "You've limited me with your words." And I need you to undo some of what you've said to me in the past. You've bound me with your words. And he was devastated. He didn't intend that. That wasn't his heart. We have such power over people who we lead. Or in the workplace, you know, bosses who can undermine others, those that work for them, especially if they feel threatened by you. The reality is that if the anointing of God is on you, you're going to threaten somebody. You're going to have a wisdom that others don't have. You're going to have an insight that others don't have. You're probably better at speaking up and saying what you think than other people do because you've practiced it at church. You know how beneficial it is just to be in the church? You will threaten people, insecure leaders particularly, in your workplace. We need to be mindful about the words that we use. We can, they, they've got such power. I mean, that's what we felt when I just started to speak over a couple of people. You can feel the power unlock something for them. That's why you're all saying, do me, do me. <laughs> There's a power in it. It creates space. It creates opportunity. And that's what we want. We want to speak life and opportunity over people. That's the atmosphere we want to create as believers. Wherever we are. It's just, just come back to me. I just realized, um, I've said this before, so I, I just realized how often in my workplace people got promoted who worked for me. It was a bit of a pain, actually, because every time I worked with somebody, they get promoted and moved to a partner or somebody more senior because they were doing so well. That's what it's got to be like. We have to create such an atmosphere of possibility from the words that we use, the atmosphere that we carry, that people start to thrive around us. I just feel like the weight of the Spirit on that, that there's some people here that really need to get a hold of that in the workplace. Change your workplace. Change your workplace by being you. Release people into their destiny. We're prophetic people, did you know that? And so James takes us back to verses 2 and 3, where he talks about keeping the body in check, literally bridled and putting a bit in the mouth of the horse to keep it on course. That's what he means when we say, be careful what you say. You need to bridle, you need a bit, you need to keep it on course. How do we do this? How do we do this? He then goes on to say, and it's impossible. (laughs) Nobody can control the tongue, he said. It's impossible. So how do we do this? Well, this is how we do it. How do we tame the tongue? We tame the tongue by changing the heart. We tame the tongue by changing the heart. You cannot just control the tongue. One way or another, it's going to spew out. What's inside is going to come out. Uh, I mean, one of the worst things about the tongue is how it can lead us so easily into hypocrisy. You know that? This is what the great boasting is around, about great words but not a great life. But you can say it good, but you don't do it so good. And being honest about this, are you honest about yourself in the words that you speak? Are you honest about the state of your heart? Perhaps, perhaps you're more honest than you mean to be. Now, sometimes when we sit down, we do accountability. We think about how we're going to say this, and we get it just sort of like that. It's not too risky. But then we get home, we bang our finger with a a hammer, and then what's really inside comes out. Unintentionally, we let it out, what's going on inside. With the same mouth, James says in verses 9 to 12, we praise God and curse one another. Out of the same mouth comes cursing and blessing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be, James says. You know, so often when our hearts are changed, our language changes. My friend Kev, who leads the church in Ragdon Road, his testimony is that he would say the F word every other word, which I'm not going to do right now, it's okay. But every other word, that was his habit of speech, he would say the F word. And uh, he got saved, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave his touch, and he said, do you know what, everybody, it's bloody marvellous. <laughs> I don't swear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, his heart was true, and I think that was God's sense of humour for him. Great words come from a great life. When we speak negatively, we're in conflict with the spirit who lives inside of us because he's never negative. How can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? One kind of water nourishes and sustains life, but the other brings death, and we're meant to be bringing life. Or how can olive trees produce figs or fig trees produce olives? That's about consistency, being consistent. Are we are we consistent? Does what we say match up with who we are? Do we say what you do? You say what you mean, or are you mean in what you say? <laughs> I thought that was a good point. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for sharing that. You see, our hearts need to be right if the words that come out of our mouths are going to be right. Our hearts need to be right. So Jesus, quoting Proverbs, says that it is out of the fullness of the heart, i.e., what the heart is full of, that the mouth speaks. I mean, have you noticed sometimes you don't know what you really think about something until it comes out of your mouth? And then when that happens, there's one of several reactions. But the first one might be relief. Oh, that's what I'm feeling. I finally get it. I'm an external processor, so I hardly ever know what I think or feel until I talk about it, which is a bit awkward sometimes. (laughs) Finally, I've got that out, relief. Or other times we can shock ourselves with what comes out. I never knew I felt that. I never knew I was so messed up inside. Never knew it. Something not right. A friend of mine used to say, it's not your actions but your reactions that reveal what is in your heart because what comes out in those unguarded moments are often a truer reflection of what we feel than what we deliberately say or do. Now, of course, when this happens, especially because we're good Christians and we're English, quite a lot of us, when this happens and something slips out, what we tend to do is to button it. We think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm not going to speak anymore. And we make a hasty exit from any conversation that we were in, because I've just put my foot in it. Anybody? But, you know, I just want to say this to you because of what the Bible teaches, not because of what our culture dictates, I think that when that happens, we've got to stop and think, God, what's really going on in my heart? And just take an inventory. I think we need to stop and and listen to what we've just said, even if it's unpleasant or difficult, and ask yourself, why did I just say that? what was behind that you might need to apologize to the person you've just spoken to because you've just spewed out over them but you need to do that moment where you just say oh, i need to i need to sit down and think this through what's going on what's wrong and what am i going to do about it because these moments of unintended revelation are important indicators for born again christians that I need to sort some things out. Because I hear from my own mouth, even though I'm being good most of the time, because I'm so good at being a Christian, I'm good most of the time, but when this comes out, I can hear that my heart isn't right at the moment. Are you following me? You're all looking at me blankly as if, Rob, that's your problem. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. You know, as I was saying... Last week, and I've had feedback on this, thanks people. um, (laughs) You don't like the disappointment stuff, it's awkward, it's difficult, but as we were saying last week, dealing with disappointment, processing pain in an honest and open way is essential for us. It's essential, it's part of our healing. You know, life hurts us, you know? Church, who'd have thought it? Jesus, who was betrayed by one of his closest friends with a kiss. Isn't the clue there? Church sometimes hurts us. Family. Oh, can't choose them. You're stuck with them. (laughs) Family hurt you. Any of these things can damage us, damage our hearts, and our hearts will need to be healed before we can start to talk right again. You know, sometimes our hearts can only be healed when we let the poison out. When we express it and it's awkward and it's messy and we don't like handling emotions and all that kind of thing. But we have to process some of the pain to get it out. And we need to find safe places and safe people to process some of this with. People we can trust not to judge us. You know, some of the things I've heard over the years, it, I'm hardly ever shocked by anything now. It just doesn't shock me. I, I just I just love people, do you know? Love, it says, covers a multitude of sins. I don't care what you've done. You don't know what I've done. I've got my own stuff, all right. But I'm letting you talk at the moment. I might talk to you later and shock you. You never know. Just love people. Don't judge you. You need people that you can just talk out and they don't judge you, they pray with you. And then they'll walk us through the healing. So I want to ask you, does your heart need attention today? Do you need to sort some things out? You'll usually know because it comes out of your mouth. It's just an unkind word, a negative assault undeserved, usually on your husband or wife if you're married, (laughs) your mum or dad, your brother or sister. When that happens, even cursing will come out and it's not characteristic of you. Stop. Stop there because some business needs to be done. Don't move on. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't button the lip. Go somewhere And start to process it with God. And then if you need help, get somebody to come and help you. Of course, the opposite can also be true. I mean, one of the things, I know things are good in my heart. I know things are good. What comes out of my mouth is I sing. I sing annoyingly, loudly, inappropriately. And I whistle and it just bubbles up. And I don't even know I'm doing it half the time. I sing. I just sing. And I don't know any of the words (laughs) So it annoys everybody around me, but it just comes out. And I know that things are good. It is well with my soul when I sing. Listen to your heart. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. It's a very clear indicator of what where things are at. So how about you? What's coming out of your mouth that reveals what's going on in your heart? Look, let me conclude. So... Our words are powerful and can shape the direction of our lives. Our tongues need to be tamed because we need to be careful what we say. Our words come from what is in our hearts. Who we are now affects how we live. So today I want to ask you to do three things in response to this talk. None of them you can do adequately right now. You need to take this away. You ready? Got your notebook out? Three things I want you to do. Firstly, listen to your self-talk. And over the next couple of days, listen to what comes out. Consciously pay attention how you think and speak about yourself. Could you say those words in public? You stupid idiot, you've done it again. Could you say that in public and not be challenged? Perhaps you need to, or perhaps you need to change the way you speak. As you come to the end of the week, you might think, crumbs, I, I need to do something with the way that I speak. I need to rewrite the blind man's label, as we were seeing from the video earlier. I want to encourage you, I brought some, uh, these are great resources from Freedom in Christ. But these are really good ways of teaching yourself, re-educating your mind in how to speak about yourself. Who I am in Christ. I'm God's child. I'm a disciple and a friend of Jesus. I've been justified, united with the Lord, and I'm one in him in spirit. I've been bought with a price and I belong to God. I am a part of Christ's body. And just speak these words out over yourself, over your life. I've got some you can take away. Or the 20 cans of success... Okay, this is the one that nips in the bud the strongholds that come into our thinking. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Why should I be in lack when I know that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory? Why should I fear when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind? I want to encourage you to take those away. Just work through some of those. Put them on your fridge. Read them every day or whatever. So listen to yourself talk. Secondly, listen to the words you use about others. And just ask yourself the question, are my words like bullets or seeds to others? You know, parents with your children, I know they're annoying and frustrating, but they get better and better. Oh, he's, he's left the room, I can say um, that. It's hard work having kids, all right. So, but you have the power to cultivate good stuff in them. You know, leaders do. You can release people into their destiny or hinder them. In the workplace, you can change the atmosphere of your workplace. So let me ask you, do you need to make some apologies to people over the next few days? Think about that. The way I've been speaking to my employees, the way that I've been speaking to people around me, have I been creating a negative atmosphere? I need to stop doing that. It's just not helpful. My words are going to be seeds, not bullets. Thirdly, listen to your heart. Pay attention to what comes out in those unguarded moments. And there's no condemnation in this. I'm not trying to condemn you or make you feel bad. But God has brought you here today to hear this message. Okay, that's what I believe. Or if you're on the internet, he's caused you to listen to this talk as you needed to hear it. He's brought you here today to hear this message. So get some healing. Get some. Or book yourself in with a trusted friend who can help you to let out the poison. Don't be intimidated by your reactions. You need to take some action to put some things right. So remember the film we started with. Change your words, change your world. Your words are powerful and they can even change the course of our lives. So what words are you going to say today?